Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Hello and welcome to this very, very special episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We're we're live. I guess we're always live, aren't we? But we've got a live audience. That's what I mean. Yeah, and this is um, Baby Loss Awareness Week. So today is Thursday, the 13th of October. So we're right slap bang in in the middle of Baby Loss Awareness Week. And we are so excited to be joined by Sarah Doolin, who is a warrior woman, one of us and has actually been on one of our courses. So thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. And um, yeah. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, I did the PTR course in August. So it was really nice to, um, other than obviously seeing you on Instagram, it's nice to properly get involved in what you, what you guys offer and the course content. Nice to see some familiar faces here tonight from the group I was in as well. Um, and I found it super helpful. I think um, the loss like journey that I was on was very um, like fundraising, charity, raising awareness, sharing mm. information. And it was really good to kind of take stock and just be like, actually, maybe I need to do something for myself. So that was sort of why I approached the course in the first place. So tell Amazing. us a bit, Sarah, about about how you ended up in the gang. So in March of this year, I had um, a baby boy um, and at the very beginning when he was born and during my pregnancy, there were there weren't really like any issues or any complications as such. Um, I did end up having a medical induction, but nothing like overly serious or Mm. any concerns. He came home. I had like one night in hospital and then he came home the next day um, and we kind of started life at home. and yeah, everything was, I guess, going well. Like, I think I was probably anxious as a new mum, but everything like midwife checks and meeting family and like those first couple of weeks were, I guess, probably normal, like trying to get into kind of a routine. And um, yeah, he was amazing. Like, I think I found I found the, the birth quite difficult, but coming home with him, like he was like such a sweetheart and was a real joy. And um, I felt I felt like kind of lucky that he just yeah just seemed to like kind of fit and it kind of was hard to imagine life without him once he came home Mm. with us um and then when he was 16 days old so just after a couple of weeks of being with us um he just didn't he didn't seem right so he I mean in the morning it was kind of little things like he hadn't fed as much as I maybe it would have expected him to but I was still really new to it as well so I wasn't a kind of expert on what that would look like um and as the day wore on I kind of became a bit more concerned that he yeah just didn't seem settled and then in the early evening he started to make what sounded to me like a cough um so based on that we kind of sought medical help and uh called 111 and ended up calling 999 and ended up having a real problem getting an ambulance which was really difficult so ended up driving ourselves to the hospital um yeah that was really tough actually the whole ambulance thing I don't talk about it very much um because I feel like I'm yeah, I just worried that I sound like I'm bad mouthing. I realised that NHS are under so much strain at the moment. But it was, yeah, it was hard because we had to make the call to get in the car, which, um, yeah, it was, it's hard. You know, mm. somebody's tell, someone's telling you that he needs medical attention. And there was a couple of things that I was able to 
to kind of give us facts on the phone. Like I had a thermometer, a really basic one that I used to use for my basal body temperature myself for yeah. fertility tracking. Um, and I could see that his temperature had spiked. So that was kind of my hard evidence that I wasn't happy. But I didn't know at that point what infection in babies looks like or what um, a temperature might mean in a baby either. Like I just mm. knew that something wasn't right. When we got to hospital, he was still awake and looking around. But the staff in the hospital immediately knew something was wrong on looking at him. Um, and yeah, he was really, really poorly with group B strep infection. This this first night we were in our local hospital down in Cornwall, but we were told really quickly, you're going to be going to Bristol as soon as you can. And I just remember thinking, like, how do you know that already? Like, we've just got here. I don't understand how you already know we're going to need to go to like a specialist hospital. And they were telling me really quickly, your, your baby's really poorly. Um, and I think what I've learned since is that so group B strep is a, a bacteria that um, up to 40% of us carry in our digestive system and it's like harmless it's just a regular form of bacteria and most people it doesn't cause any issues um, but for babies it can be really dangerous when they're exposed most babies will be fine but some babies will become poorly I didn't know about any of this when mm. I was pregnant um, and, and his infection was particularly aggressive and on, at the time we were just kind of reacting to what we we're being told but it ended up being that it became sepsis and it became meningitis. And th about 24 hours later, when we arrived at Bristol, um, they performed another scan on his brain. So it was a second one. And the first one was clear. But this one showed that there was like absolutely no brain activity or response and that he'd, he'd basically gone and he wasn't there anymore. And he, yeah, it was um, yeah, absolutely horrific, obviously, like the worst, like that particular conversation being told there's nothing they can do. I think there's something about being sent to Bristol and we were in a specialist, he was in a specialist ambulance and you think, you kind of think there must be something they're going to do when mm. you get there. But obviously they were hoping if they could do something, they would be in the right place with the right people. But unfortunately he had no brain activity when we got to Bristol. So um, we had to be told that he wouldn't survive and that we would have to turn the machine off like the ventilator and, everything that was currently keeping him alive which we did the following day on the like another 24 hours later so it was like a whirlwind couple of days and I think what I'll always kind of stick in my head is that I didn't I didn't know anything about infections that's why mm. we've done so much awareness and campaigning around why aren't women spoken to about or parents to be spoken to about what infection could look like and how to maybe spot what's what's just grisly and what maybe is more alarming um yeah yeah oh Sarah yeah, I'm so sorry it's it's just so it's so frightening and it must have been so traumatic at the time to go from well I mean gosh to to, to have that baby home with you after the pregnancy and then to go through all that afterwards just absolutely horrendous I'm so sorry thank you yeah I think it, it is yeah like I think in your I always was like all about worrying about the pregnancy and worrying about I wasn't really like super calm I wouldn't have said during pregnancy like I was always a bit worried about what might happen and um I've had friends experience losses and yeah I wasn't sort of naively mm. jumping on jumping on the couch like the bed for the scans and things it was always in the back of my mind like what if something was to go wrong mm. I think when you come home you sort of think like I've, I've done the pregnancy I've done the birth like hopefully this is like 
okay now and I don't need to, I can stop panicking so much and it's really difficult I think the whole panicking thing in general like I remember when he was poorly at home um we didn't have very much time I've read so many cases where somebody's had like three days of their baby not being right and Ezra had a couple of really good days before that final one when he got poorly um so yeah you don't you don't have much information I don't think as a as a new parent and um I didn't have much knowledge of infection and he didn't he didn't have much time so we're talking you know my my friend is a nurse and she was around in the morning and she, I said I'm a bit worried about him and she's like trained in sepsis and things and didn't notice anything alarming mm. um, I'm really glad she popped over because I was on my own otherwise so it's good to know that I had her as like a point of reference um, and when we got to the hospital they said sometimes babies just they just like kind of drop like so they maintain 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 and then they crash and mm. when we got to the we got to the hospital sort of as he was crashing and they could see that happening. Um, so yeah, I'd, I've learned so much since, but at the time I knew very, very little. And, and that's something I'm working really hard to, yeah, try to address and try to share and try to empower people yeah. to know about group well, strep. I mean, share with us, Sarah, what, what are the signs and symptoms that people should be aware of? So there's, um, there's early onset and there's late onset when it comes to group strep. So early onset is normally picked up in the first 12 hours after birth and you're normally still in the hospital so they would recognize if there was something wrong with the baby and late onset is after seven days of life up to three months so Ezra had late onset which is in the home and there's a range of different things they can start to do so some of the um the things that are maybe more uh aren't as alarming are things like not feeding or not being interested in food um which is difficult to identify that at the beginning. High-pitched crying, whimpering, becoming blotchy. So if they look like they're losing their colour and becoming kind of um, like Ezra's top lip started to go quite mottled or kind mm. of like a bluey reddy colour. And then the same with like his eyelids. But also the cough I mentioned earlier was actually a grunt and grunting is a sign of infection um, that I wasn't aware of. And that's a really key infection marker. So there are sat, like you can hear the sound of the grunt on like group B straps website or a sepsis website, which is really good just to be aware of that. Um, because I think we've had years of listening about COVID. I thought he had COVID because he was sounded like he was kind of coughing in a chesty way, but the grunt is actually a sign of infection. Um, and the Sarah, other thing is, sorry, on. was it the grunt that made the um, 111 turn to a 999 call? Was that? So the one on one call was um, was me calling because of his temperature and mm. the fact that he was making the kind of grunting, coughing sound. Right. Um, the nine 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 call was because the ambulance hadn't turned up, and oh, right. I then phoned nine 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 to try to kind of get an answer on was an ambulance coming, and yeah, it was difficult because one 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 said there was an ambulance on the way, and nine 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 said an ambulance had never been on the way. Jesus. So that, there'd been nothing on the road for us um we live like a 45 minute drive from the hospital so in the end I had to say to 999 like just cancel the ambulance I'm going to get in the car um when we got to the hospital and they they managed to settle Ezra to begin with and got him on medication they said to us like well done for bringing him in they didn't know about the ambulance mm. issue and they they said um if you'd waited another half an hour he'd have died at home and I said I've been waiting an hour for an ambulance and then had to get in the car um and drive here so yeah there's been a bit of that's been hard for me to get my head yeah. around it. 
would would it, would it have made a difference? They, they've often referenced the fact that his infection was really aggressive. Um, I think they're trying to let me know that they're not sure what time of the day would have made a difference because mm. because he was maintaining. So it's hard to know when when exactly did it take hold of him. But at the same time, I'm forever going to think like, what if I'd gone up in the afternoon? What if the ambulance had been here in 15 minutes? What, you know, mm. all those things will always be in my head, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. You have to kind of find a way to forgive yourself, I think, and remember that you did the best you could in the situation you were you in. You absolutely did. Yeah. So tell us a bit about what happened in the sort of days and weeks following Ezra's death. Yeah, God, it was the most... I mean, it still to me is so surreal. Like life is so weird. Um, I obviously, we both just needed some time to begin with, but it's quite, obviously you have to plan a funeral and um, we had to let everybody know. So we chose to, we chose to tell everybody actually on Mother's Day because um, that was kind of two days after he'd passed away and we were getting messages asking us how everything was going and if we were settling in and I just said to Craig we're gonna have to just post so we put together like a little video and included like little clips of him as well as photographs and um people's support has been utterly incredible and because of the nature of group strep and the fact that it can be prevented and that awareness can be raised through information we had a few people reach out. So like our local news reached out and um, we did like a, an ITV thing, like a Southwest ITV, um, West Country interview. And that was all quite quick. I was doing all of that with Craig, my husband, in April. So um, there wasn't much time really before mm. we were kind of throwing ourselves in. And I think I was just really frustrated because I was like, there's everybody was telling me parents of multiple children, they've never heard of it. Um, and I just found that really frustrating that, why are we not talking about it like why I've got a friend um, I've got friends who have tested GBS positive in the past who took a baby home and they had no idea about late onset or the fact it can develop up to three months and that's maybe something they need to be mindful of you know it's really rare but to be mindful of it just in case Mm. just in case something happens so yeah there was lots of fundraising there was lots of um trying to piece ourselves back together and trying to take some space and yeah, begin to kind of wrap our heads around what happened. Um, lots of medical meetings as well, because when a when a baby or when a child dies, there's a whole review into it. So because Ezra was treated in two hospitals, we've had like two teams doing reviews and that's led to meetings and they've, they've been helpful, but obviously they've been really tough. So yeah. And has that, was the ambulance stuff addressed in either of those meetings? Yeah, it has been addressed and there's there's action that has to be taken off the back of it like um the way my call was triaged I'm able to see like you're able to see the paperwork of everything when something like this happens so I can see that everything that was written for every midwife appointment and the same with the ambulance call that I made um it was triaged wrong so they should have I think the problem is like 111 is a different system to 999 and they probably were meant to have made some sort of direct contact I think it was like an automated request for an ambulance um and another issue is obviously this is a national issue but the turnaround time and what's the best way of handling that like do you tell somebody we're meant to be with you in 15 minutes we're not going to be there in that time how long would it take you to get there just having a bit more of an open conversation was Mm. my was my request like I would rather they just said to me from the start at quarter past eight um we're we're not going to make it to you at the moment like how long would it take you to get there Mm. um yeah it's really difficult because we we were put in a really horrible position here having to wait 
Um, and I think that's been a real issue of contention is it's not fair to put parents in that situation. Mm. So, so yeah, it's been part of the review. Everything else was amazing in terms of the staffing. Like when we got to the hospital, the Bristol team, the Truro team down here in Cornwall, everybody was utterly amazing. It was just that first bit trying to get an ambulance was like an absolute nightmare. So um, like I said, it's quite hard to kind of process that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, crikey, Sarah. So I, I, I have heard of Group B strep. Um, and I know that you can pay to have a test done. Is that right? You can. Yeah. So lots of countries offer that test routinely. So you can test in the late part of pregnancy. The idea being that Group B strep bacteria comes and goes. So it's transient. So if you're positive, that doesn't mean you're positive forever. It means mm. you're positive at that point in time. So it makes more sense to test like around 37 weeks because that's the closest point really to get the test results back in time before you deliver the baby, hopefully. And if you do test positive, you get the option of antibiotics. So antibiotics in labor will kill the bacteria in your vagina during delivery so that the baby's not exposed as it as it exits and comes out into the world. Um, the thing is, though, that that is just early onset. So mm. it doesn't prevent late onset, which a lot of people don't realize. So they think a lot of the reaction I've had to some of the articles I've done has been like, there's a test that can save all of this. But sadly, that isn't the case. The test can really help inform you. It can help you make choices during labour. Um, but when it comes to late onset, it's about just uh, reacting to symptoms and signs as quickly as possible because it's kind of a race against time. Ideally, in time, there'll be a vaccination. So there's actually a vaccination on trial in this country at the moment in two hospitals. I think one in Southampton, one in London. Um, and it's already been through a range of trials in a couple of other countries as well. Um, so, yeah, that would be that, that would be the kind of gold, like number one. I mean, testing things. would be a start, right? Yeah, it's really frustrating that we don't test. And if you look at our figures, they've only gone up since we stopped testing and screening in this country and other countries that do test have a lower rate of GBS and a lower rate of it's not just about a baby dying it's also that they can be left with like lifelong disability if mm. they do have meningitis at that age and survive um so you know there's lots of and even if they have a full recovery lots of babies spend weeks in intensive care until they recover so yeah I mean the argument is the antibiotic argument like antibiotic resistance we're giving you know lots of countries giving lots of women antibiotics when most babies will be fine um Obviously, I find that difficult because my baby wasn't fine and it's really it's a really serious infection. So I, I know that if it was down to me and I was choosing over antibiotics or not, I'd rather just take them to be on the safe side. I rarely take yeah. them in my life. I don't I mean, take that, them very often. Is that why it's an option rather than it's just standard because of that, because of the resistance stuff? Yeah. So the, in this country, that's part of the wow. reason that we don't offer routine screening because they don't think there's enough evidence to support giving all of those women antibiotics um when it's such a rare infection so yeah that's a it's a difficult one isn't it because like I said I don't ever take antibiotics very often um and I've seen like I can't imagine how much money was spent on Ezra I know Ezra had late onset but just watching him go through all of the treatment and the staffing and the intensive care and the ambulance that had to move him like you know that's a lot of money as well so it's hard to know I can yeah there's I think there's sort of two schools of thought and yeah. probably not probably not educated enough to make a comment but I can yeah I can see that in other countries where they are just giving the antibiotics 
it's probably on the safer side yeah so if someone did want to get tested is that something that they can do via the hospital or midwife how's it done yes so if I signpost group B strep support Mm -hmm. which is a website I'd really recommend everybody looking at so it's got the signs and symptoms of infection it's got information about group B strep it's also got information for testing so it it recommends a lab so when you request a test they send the um they send the test out to you in the post and it's the swab so you swab your bum you swab your just inside your vagina um and then you send that off and a few days later they'll send you back a result via text so in the post if that was then positive you take the test result to your midwife right. and they would put they would put like a group b strep positive sticker on your notes so that if and when like when you're in labor you've that's like really clearly signposted and you're offered antibiotics in labor so is anyone who has a cesarean off the hook from this um I think they're probably massively reducing any right. chance of early onset, but I've read cases where somebody's had a cesarean and then they've had a baby with late onset who, yeah, who still developed late onset later on. So there's no known prevention for late onset. Okay. Um, and even like late onset, I didn't say this earlier, it could be passed by touch as well. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's the mum. Obviously anyone can carry group B bacteria, not just the mother, but it can be passed like, you know, it can be on hands and things. So I guess hospital staff probably carry it, right? If it's that common. Yeah. So it's a higher rate of um, healthcare and hospital staff that have it because they're exposed to it so often in hospitals. So they're more likely to be carrying. Mm. Um, there may be like an average person that doesn't work in a medical setting. Um, so yeah, that's another another thing that not many people realise. A lot of people just assume it's at birth, but it can be. Yeah, it can be exposed to other points by other people as well doesn't have to be mum so it's worth people knowing that too yeah so how did life move on or not on you know we don't say that forward how 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 was it in the months after so you did a lot of like raising awareness and campaigning and that sort of stuff but tell us about you know presumably obviously you had like a nursery and things like that how how did you manage yeah I mean we've tried really hard to keep the nursery door open which actually Mm. has become sort of normal life now but at the very beginning I didn't want to keep it closed um we had so many presents I hadn't even opened like stuff was arriving and my sister was getting here before we got back from the hospital to take all the cards down and to take yeah the gifts away so that I didn't see them in the parcels and things um eventually I went through all of it and put it all away and like kind of wrapped it so that it's protected and yeah I don't know what will happen with all of that stuff but I didn't really think I needed to make a decision on that at the time Mm. I just I just knew I needed to go through it and open everything and unwrap everything and obviously lots of things got tags on and I think as well like I didn't want to come home to I really didn't want to come home to the cards and um my sister took all it and her friends took all those down but then we obviously had all these other cards in sympathy um, all of which I've kept but yeah the the shift from one thing to the other mm. um, and the people that can can cope with both and some people can't so sometimes I really noticed there was like an excess of excitement when he was here and then when he wasn't just radio silence from mm. people that I knew were thinking of us but just didn't know what to say or yeah of course how to reach out um, so trying to navigate that as well so that I wasn't consoling other people trying to remember somebody the um palliative nurse at Bristol spoke a lot about putting yourself back at the top of the tree so when you realize you've come down a few branches 
you have to put yourself back at the top and be like, right, I, I've got to make sure I'm looking after my needs and everything else will follow. And that doesn't really come naturally to me. Um, I'm a teacher, so I'm used to just putting myself last, mm. but really trying to look after ourselves. So um, after his cremation, we chose to scatter his ashes not long after that. So we kept half and we're hoping to plant them in like a, a nice tree or something we haven't haven't picked yet. But we walk the coast path a lot um down here in Cornwall so we chose a spot that we really love and scattered some of his ashes there and that's like his spot that we can go to when we're walking um in June I walked 60 miles of the coast path for group B strep um then a few friends joined me because it was like something they were doing for the June month um to raise money um which was I know that's a fundraising thing but also it's just really nice for me just to walk and get out and do yeah just sort of like the traveling and the putting one foot in front of the other like a bit of pilgrimage sort of yeah moving moving forward I think helps when you feel quite stuck Mm. um if you're physically walking and I couldn't really do much more than that like I normally I'm a bit of a runner in the summer but after yeah I was in like pelvic floor rehab and stuff so there was just um there's no way I was going for a run so it's really nice just to do that instead and reaching out to friends our home is like our cave so that's like our safe space and it still is we had some counseling I went to a lady that kind of um does a bit of a mixture of like homeopathy and um like clairvoyant is it clairvoyant as I say it like yeah like mediumship so found that really spiritual and helpful uh trying to make sense of everything there was a lot of thinking like what was the point at the very beginning I don't feel like that so much now but the very beginning I was just like you're pregnant for such a long time hopefully Mm -hmm. and and then it was like what was the point like I don't understand um at the very beginning but now I try to honor the fact that he lived and that um he was here and that we'll always yeah we'll always carry him with us and he'll always be part of everything that we do and his name is said by so many I've got yeah I've got some like lovely touching things that people do for us um that remind me that his name has been spoken in other houses and in other places um and I think all those little things have kind of added up we didn't do anything major we did take a week away and we went away in May for a week abroad, which was mad because normally a holiday is really exciting, isn't it? And this one was just bizarre because we just needed space. Um, and it felt a bit odd packing a suitcase. Compared, yeah, I didn't want to really be going away. And it was a reminder that he wasn't here, that we were going away. Mm. But I think, it, I think it helped just for us both to get some space with each other. Um, so we have to say yes to everything. We spoke to like an emotional trauma coach as well, um, which was really helpful. We tried to do some stuff together. Um, as a couple as well like the, the trauma coach the counseling mm. and how That's did you talk about it Craig Craig's your partner yeah how did um what were the sort of differences in your grief or did you grieve in a similar way um I think we both uh avoid too much socializing at the moment and I don't know how mm. long that will last but we really struggle in groups um but I'd say it's funny because somebody asked me this the other day and I feel like we both need time at home but I think Craig properly like drops, like drops into the house and like you see his personality come out a little bit more when he's at home and he's safer and he feels more secure and you can see he's more comfortable here. Um, and I think I benefit from time at home, but if it's too much, I think I need like a lift out of it. Like even if mm-hmm. it's just going for a coffee with a friend or going, for, I go for a sea swim like loads. So it's like something I did before um, having it. Nice. Yeah. Like I try to get in weekly. So booking that in for an hour or, yeah just walking the dog like I think I need to like lift myself out or I get a bit foggy um and sort of slumpy so 
that's maybe how we differ. But we have been, Craig's really open, incredibly open. And that's really helped in that we're both able to speak really clearly about um, what we've experienced. And I think the fact we were both there together has made such a difference. I kept thinking about anyone that went through this in COVID and how only one person might have been in the hospital. And I really don't know how you'd get through that as a couple, like knowing one of you missed all of it because you couldn't get into the hospital and the other one was having to face all of that on their own. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm so, obviously I would rather neither of us had gone through it, but I'm so grateful neither of us was on our own and that we were together. Um, And obviously it's the most awful time of your life, but it gives you a clarity that I've never experienced. Like when we were, when we were with Ezra and there were, there were just like very few things we were focused on, just like getting him to Bristol, waiting for an outcome, knowing that it could be completely like awful news, then having the outcome and then reacting to that and making decisions about what we're going to do next, about kind of getting him home and stuff. But yeah, the kind of all of the like normal noise of everyday life that we're used to, like the hum, the background just disappears. Um, and it doesn't like that clarity. I don't think lasts for very long, but I tried to remember that, that for those kind of few days, everything was in perspective mm. and it just, yeah, it reminds you what's important. And in the kind of people I've navigated since and those that know how to support us and those that struggle, just, yeah, leaning into the ones that do and not wasting my time, um, trying to people please as much as I did before and things, because mm. I feel like it gives you a bit of a wake up and it, yeah it's a chance to really like kind of grab hold of what you want to do with your precious time and what you don't want to do with your precious time and have you been able to carry that forward in terms of the way you live now are you living life to a fuller extent than you did before I I think we hopefully will in time I think um at the moment I still as a teacher I think having returned to work I'm teaching my normal teaching load at the moment um I feel a bit like I'm just treading water in Mm. terms of like trying to get through each week and I get to Friday and I 100% need the weekend but I think I'm trying to be more neutral about things like work where I used to let I don't really get stressed about it at the moment other than wanting to do a good job for the kids I try not to get kind of ahead of about the political stuff which often is the case in public sector work or just being neutral about it and being like I'm going to do a good enough job and then I'm trying to put my energy into the fundraising and the remembering Ezra and the raising awareness of the group B strep stuff. So I think in that sense, it's kind of opened our eyes a little bit to how we want life to look Mm. Um, and just reaching for stuff that makes you feel content as well. So yeah, like ordinary is okay. And it doesn't need to be like flashing and singing and dancing. I think too much we're too often we're pushed into thinking our life has to be, I don't know, like ridiculously ambitious or this like, um maybe extreme notions of success and I just am striving for sort of the little things and um being content and I think it's really that in that way it's really calming and grounding to to kind of focus on those things instead yeah I think it does change your perspective on life and everything that, that you go through and um yeah I mean it's just it's about survival right yeah exactly and what that looks like so whether that looks Mm. like yeah you've got the energy to see I don't know a friend for brunch because that would be really good for your survival that'd be really good for like filling you up and and making you Mm. feel um like recharged or whether it's like a day of just you know on the sofa watching television and um and that's okay too just like sinking into what you need Mm. and often I don't think we do think enough about what we need like sadly like we're too often 
distracted by pressures or expectations of others or yeah workplace stuff so that in that way I'm I'm trying really hard and I know it probably sounds maybe ridiculous but I've tried really hard to think like how can I be grateful for what this is teaching me or what I'm learning from it because I can't Mm. change it I can't bring Ezra back and I can't um yeah I can't go back so if I'm going forward like how can I learn from it how is it highlighting um things that maybe I hadn't noticed before or allowing me to lean into to things that make me happy that I maybe I don't know overlooked before I know Charlotte talks about all of this stuff on the course Mm. and I really I really resonate with all of that I think it's really powerful it's so powerful and it's so inspiring listening to you like going through having been through and it's I felt similar when we did a podcast with Sharla didn't you Laura just Mm. like going through this absolutely horrendous traumatic and heartbreaking ordeal and that you can actually within yourself find strength to be empowered by it and as you say look for somehow to grow from your experience which it sounds like that's what you're doing and yeah god Sarah I just want to say I got you're so inspiring you're so incredibly inspiring and when I read the story of what you know what you've been through in the lead up to this podcast recording I was just blown away by um by your attitude and everything and I think it's so obvious I think everyone listening can agree that you are doing Ezra so proud like oh I'm gonna cry now sorry <laughs> it was always coming <laughs> I just think that it's, um, yeah I think he'd be so proud of what you're doing in his name and for him you know it's brilliant so thank much you. for you thank you yeah it's it's just so like, it's so tough because so often you can't help but just think about I don't know I'm doing something normal like teaching a lesson and then I sort of like zoom out of my body and think like your baby died in March and you're just you're just teaching a lesson how how can you how can you be stood on two feet and um and often as well like I'll see I don't know I'll see I've got got a lot of friends and Craig's got a lot of friends that had babies around the same time as us and Mm. we'll see them and and when I see them I I probably come across normally but I can't I always think about how my baby is a pot of a pot of ashes now like how how has he become that and and um and yeah that there's this constant like feeling like I'm split in two like I'm there's a part of me that's like reacting and answering and going along with whatever moment I'm in but then there's I think there's you end up with two sides of you and then there's a side of you inside and I'm sure it's the same for anyone that's experienced any type of baby loss whatever gestation but you're yeah you can't help but play with dates in your head or what could have been or where you might have been now or where you hoped to be or thought you you should be um and I think that's the kind of yeah carrying him with me all all the time and wanting to do the best I can and to learn and yeah I I I spent a lot of time at the very beginning just wanting wanting him back so badly like Mm. I just can't explain like how much I just wanted to have done things differently and wished I'd known more about infection. I remember speaking to the consultant from Bristol for one of our follow-up meetings and just listing all these things. And I was like, if I'd known this, and if I'd known that, and if I'd known this, I'd prepared this pack for him. And he asked if I had a medical background. And I was like, no, I've got a drama degree. <laughs> <laughs> but I've done a lot of Googling. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I could play like... a medical professional. Well, sure. <laughs> he was just like, you, you have done this you've done this you've done this and then eventually just said please remember like as a parent it isn't your job mm. it's not your job to to deal with a 
a poorly baby or child it's actually just your job to put them in front of the right people and and that is what you did and it was just like a bit of a reminder that um yeah like I'm just one person I think you can get carried away um and I'm trying to really I'm trying really hard to strike that balance of like that that sort of feeling like two people and yeah wanting to show up for him in the best way we possibly can um whilst also yeah like just still reeling that we can't we can't be living a different version and that we can't our life it doesn't look like everybody like everybody like I said that's close to us that's just had a baby that our life doesn't look like that um yeah yeah Sarah do you get the I mean your outlook and your mindset seems to be so so positive and so I'd you're a better person than me i I don't know if if I could if I've got it in me. I'm not just not a positive person, am I, Bex? No, no, no. Um, but do you still do you still get the uglies? I do about specific things, I think. Like um, oh, it really wound me up in September when everyone was posting about how quickly their children are growing up. Um, you know, you get like all the photographs side by side, like this has mm-hmm. become a thing where I'm sure everyone must find it really sensitive and tender, but I ended up posting on my page just about how when people are like, where's my baby gone and stop growing and phrases like that. I was like, you know, if your baby stops growing, they're not alive. Like mm. if your baby is, is you want it to stay a baby, that means they're not going to grow and they're not going to develop and they're not going to live. And um, it was probably the most honest thing I'd posted, but I just found, I just think often um, some of these things that become kind of coined phrases are just so insensitive and and also you, they don't mean that like they don't mean they don't want their baby to grow if they really mm-hmm. thought about what they're saying so that things like that wind me up I think um, yeah some of the behavior especially on social media winds me up and I do get ugly feelings about that and frustration over yeah people being perhaps a little bit short-sighted or not realizing the wider issues about what they're saying um, I, I get frustrated with the divide as well that it feels like there's a divide between those that have living children and those that have suffered loss because obviously there's a crossover like there's people that have suffered loss and then gone on to have living children or had living children then lost then maybe further living children but it doesn't feel like you can see that differentiation it feels like you're one or the other yeah. and it would be nice it would be nice for that to be more merged I think just so that it doesn't feel so isolating um so yeah I do still get them I just think um it's normally in reaction to something someone's posted on social media to be honest that's yeah. where I'll, that'll show up yeah social media so, yeah. is a bugger isn't it mm. Mm. yeah it really is so sort of where do you go from here what your plans you t- you talk mentioned that you're back at work so mm. how long did you have away and being a teacher as well that must did it make that harder or yeah, it did make it hard. I think when it first happened, I remember saying, I don't know how I'm going to get up in front of a class again. But I actually, so Ezra passed away at the end of March and I actually went back. Um, I started to go back in May a little bit, just like for keeping in touch days. And they were great. And I wasn't teaching at that point. And then I I went back and taught a couple of classes for the last half term in June and July, um, which I think probably sounds quite soon. But for me, I knew that there was a six week holiday coming up for the summer. And I just thought if I waited until September, it would be harder to come back in September without having had any transition. And it felt like a better fit to do something before the summer holiday 
mm. and get my feet back in. And I picked up, obviously I knew those classes because I taught them before I went on maternity in February. Whereas now in September, all the classes are new and the, the, all the children and students have been told about what had happened. So um, they knew and were aware. So it, yeah, just coming back to a couple of classes was a good fit. Um, and did they, and yeah. did, did the kids ask you or say anything or, cause we all know kids process things in a really funny way, don't they? And sometimes they can be, we've heard before from teachers that, they've been quite blunt in in the things that they said did you have anything like that no I haven't yet I don't know if I will but um yeah I haven't really had no one's really asked me about him or, or said anything and I also haven't really mentioned too much yet because I'm worried if I speak I'll get upset mm. and um <laughs> I don't think teenagers are always the best when understandably if there's like 32 of them and I I crack um not that there's anything wrong with me showing emotion but it's just the the notion of having a lesson and a certain amount of time with them and not being able to get out of the room and yeah um maybe in time I'm sure in time I will speak about Ezra and um I had a like a tattoo me Craig and I had like a tattoo done um of his name um so some of them have noticed that and, and mentioned it and said oh that's lovely um like I remember one of my older students last year saying oh he'll always be with you now and she mm. said it off of her own yeah off of her own like choice um that's but fair. yeah they're not they're <laughs> not the I think they probably they're all thinking it and it's like the elephant in the room but um because obviously it's been so public and I I live and work in the local area so they've seen a lot of the stuff I've been doing to raise awareness and I'm I grew up with a lot of their parents and things so there's like a lot of there's a lot of connections there um and I think it's been hopefully helpful for them I know somebody in one of the old years said the other day she's glad she knows about it in that like she now knows about that as she goes into life as a young woman, like she's aware of group B strep. And I hadn't really thought of it from their perspective as children. It's good for them to know. Mm. Um, so yeah, all of that stuff. I think, like I said, I'm trying to be quite neutral about work and um, obviously with baby loss awareness week this week as well, just trying to, trying to do things to mark um, his loss and to honor him, but also trying to remember what I've already done. I know I said that to you guys when we were talking about this episode and, just I think a lot of people feel a lot of pressure this week to like I must post something or I should be doing something or Mm. I want to think of something different and I think all of us have probably done so much already like there'll be little whether it's private and and internal things or whether it's um yeah like bigger things or choices that have been made um regarding I don't know how I know when we lost Ezra we made some decisions like we brought him home with us in the car um rather than leaving his body in Bristol Hospital. And that was a really, a really big thing that we wanted to do, that we wanted to look after him or we spent the night in his ho- in his hospital. I always go to say hotel. I don't know why. We spent the <laughs> night. I don't know why every every time I do that. Um we spent the we spent the night in the hospital room with him. Um and I remember somebody, I listened to your podcast after losing him and I can't remember it's a it's a father on the first series. He talks about that as well and how oh, James. he found it. Yeah, James, he found it to be um, something that, you know, he would he would say he's glad he did and that he'd suggest as a way of spending time together. Um, and the fundraising and the um, the different choices we've made in ways of honouring him. I think it's, um, yeah, whatever um, that looks like, it's going to look different for everybody. If you really sit back and think about it, there's probably a lot for everybody to be really proud of already that they've already mm. done or like I said whether it's private or public to mm. to mark that person that you're going to remember forever I um, think yeah I, t- I totally agree and I think you and you will have seen this on our social media because I talk about it a lot but 
the thing is that this isn't baby loss awareness isn't for us like we're so aware of our lost babies it's we're aware every day we don't need a month or a week or a day to tell us that we've lost our babies you know it's it's for other people so it really is something that I feel we need to in terms of you know what we're doing is is just passing the buck really and this is for for people outside the community to get involved with yeah definitely Um, I think um and I I don't think people should be afraid to ask people to get involved either like um, I'll certainly be asking people to light a candle on Saturday um, in memory of Ezra or any other babies as well, any other losses that they might know of in their friends and family. And I think um, the night Ezra passed away, I sent a message to friends and family, just completely, I didn't think it through. I just sent a message saying, it's not long until we say goodbye. Could you light a candle to send our boy on his way? Um, and I just sent it to a number of people and they all started sending photographs and videos back of the candles and the next day one of my best friends had got hold of as many of them as possible and put them into a little video for me and I remember watching it in this horrible hospital room that um how we had our stuff in that was really tiny and like you know like it's it's sort of like a last resort if you turn up late at night like we did and we were kind of packing our stuff up after having said goodbye and spent a night with him and we're about to take him home in the car and it just came through on my whatsapp and I played it and she put this lovely music behind it and it completely floored me and there was things in it I didn't even realize had happened like a friend had bought a sweatshirt for him that had his name on it and I didn't even know because she hadn't had chance to give it to me yet and she'd put the candle on it so his name was in the in the um shot and it just took my breath away that everybody had taken part and everyone had had this candle lit and we'd been in this mad world in this hospital which felt miles away from everybody but they had all been thinking of him and sending him on his way with us and that we were all kind of connected Mm. um and it was it was yeah like I said I didn't think too much about it at the time when I look back it's such an important moment and that was off the back of me inviting people to take part and inviting people Mm. to help and I think we shouldn't be afraid to do that I think they they want to help don't they yeah yeah they want direction as well. I think. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, like, it's one thing that we, we've been talking about a lot this week with the companies that we've been talking to and telling people what you need is so important because it can literally save relationships because relationships break down because people don't know what to say. So they don't say anything. But these are people that you really love and you want to keep in your life. And if you can tell them what you need, then mm. it's going to take the pressure off them because they're like, oh, you know, they're sometimes they're absolutely dying to to know what to what to do and what's best to say and and if you give them that information it just make it easier yeah just make it easier I've yeah I've tried to do that the whole time I've had to say a few times if something's upset me or I've corrected like phrases or words that don't help for me or um and it's hard but I from the very beginning I was like I want to keep the people I love in my life and I I could sense a lot on some of the lost stuff I'd seen online that um, some people feel like their friends friendships change after loss and I understand why but I wanted to try really hard for that not to be our outcome um, and if somebody said the wrong thing or if somebody messed up and I think sadly I think most people will mess up because it's such a huge thing to maneuver and to manage and to to help us with but I'm just being super honest I'm not I'm not going to hold I'm trying not to hold resentment so if I just say like that didn't work for me or um, it didn't help that you forgot such and such or when you use this phrase um it comes across like this and that most people have been like thank you so much for correcting me like thank you for letting me know and, and like and I have also appreciated and said things like 
I realise you, you're doing a lot at the moment and I'm really sorry you're also having to educate me, but thank you for telling me. And I think that's really important because then at least I'm giving them the opportunity to make adjustments. Um, yeah. yeah, it's much better, I think, than, um, like you said, if we just say it and say this is what is needed or this is what I'm looking for, at least people have got a chance because, mm. yeah, sadly, we just, I don't think grief in general is something we discuss enough in our society and a lot of people don't know how to navigate it and um, anything we can do to point people in the right direction and say and this they is might what still they might still let you down and that's when you can cut those fuckers out <laughs> yeah but and at then, least and we then... can give them a, ch- a chance to kind of show up for us yeah and, then, and to catch yeah. up you know like some people need mm-hmm. to catch up I think and they don't realize they really don't realize what they're doing and yes it might be really hurtful but they, if they don't get any sense that they're, done, they're doing something wrong they're never going to catch up and no. probably make that mistake to someone else and at least if you're giving them like you said it might they might not it might not quite work out but if you give them the opportunity and then it doesn't work out I think yeah completely. yeah get rid yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah it's definitely worth putting your energy into it I think and I tried really hard to just be like send a confronting message and then forget about it which isn't my normal I'd normally ruminate on that for weeks but mm-hmm. I was like I just don't have time to worry about it if you want to help me and like if, if we our friendship and like love for each other is important as we we say it is this is what I need and now I'm gonna I remember vividly one of those days sending a message to try and correct somebody and also registering Ezra's life and death at the same time and then also coming back to have a meeting about his funeral. And I was like, you know, this is when you learn. I haven't haven't got the space and I don't have to spend so much time ruminating because I'm juggling this mad life at the moment. And if people want to take on the pointers, then amazing. And, and my friends have so far. And if they can't, then like you said, like it's probably a sign, isn't it? That it's not the mm. right fit. Mm. Oh, good for you. Oh, gosh, I think that's such wise advice. That's brilliant. And um, has anyone got any questions for Sarah? Let's have a look in the chat box. Emma, take yourself off mute, love. Hi, yeah. Um, we, we've spoken before, Sarah, in, in groups. Oh, yeah. And again, echo, echoing what the girls have said, like it's it's so inspiring listening to you. Um, I know you have your fundraising page, which you can share, but is there anything you would want people to do in memory for Ezra that would kind of keep his memory alive for you guys I think that'd be really nice to be able to do yeah thank you I think um yeah I think obviously with the wave of light coming up any candles that can be lit for lots of babies and in lots Mm. of um, memory of lots of people's losses not just Ezra's I think is really helpful just to know that when they burn brightly on Saturday um that people are thinking of these of these different babies names and I think if people pass on the group be strapped information although that isn't perhaps like sentimental it it's I think the, the way that we operate best often as women is normally through word of mouth and um mm. lots of people keep telling me like well done for spreading awareness but I feel like saying back to everybody like well done on your part too like if everybody I've heard has sorry as everyone that's heard me has passed it on to another 10 people who pass it on to another 10 people um and it comes back round to Ezra like that is a legacy for me that is so valuable and so worthwhile um and I think naturally when you hear a story like this it's the sort of thing people do remember and because it's got you know a lot, a lot of group strap is preventable in mm. terms of early onset it is something that people go on to consider talking about or 
somebody a few people have already been in touch with us so somebody the other day got in touch to say her baby was poorly with group b strep and she only recognized it because she'd seen mine and my sister's stories um wow and that that was that just that one story was like yeah like how, how amazing that somebody mm. was able mm. to because that's the problem is you don't know what you're looking at if somebody hasn't talked you through what that might look like and that's why I've been trying really hard to get some changes to midwife appointments and um, to conversations around infection. But that just came from people seeing what we shared. And I think that's the sort of all of this comes back to wanting a legacy for Ezra and wanting him to be to be making a difference so that other parents don't um, or have a chance at not suffering like we have. Mm-hmm. So they have some direction, they have some knowledge, they have some awareness. I think like that's so important, like raising that awareness, because it isn't even it's not it doesn't even have to be raising the awareness of the story as you've told it with Ezra. But it raising awareness enough for everyone to have strep B in their head so that when they go to midwife appointment, they say, even if they can't remember a lot about it, they say, can you tell me more about strep B? Mm. And they've just got that in their head to think, oh, God, I remember hearing about that that story I remember I need to uh, I need to find out more and just that mm. looking for that education rather than expecting it to 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 come out because it didn't like I've I've had kids and I didn't I vaguely know about strep B because I remember my friend had it and then her second pregnancy she had to go in and have antibiotics as soon as she went into labor but I mean I wouldn't have thought to ask about it for myself I you know and that's crazy no. yeah and it's I think it's the lack the lack of talking like so you're just often that people are sadly just told you need to have antibiotics in labor and no one has any further conversation and that's why everything I've been doing has been around conversation so saying the symptoms or talking about um the, the, the timeline of Ezra's um Ezra's illness and the way he kind of crashed like I talked about earlier and like kind of dropped off a cliff in terms of getting poorly very quickly and um I think anything to do with sepsis and infection is about acting as quickly as you possibly can so mm if you know that time is like your main ally in this situation, I don't understand why we're not talking about signs and symptoms. And sadly off, I know this isn't the case, but I don't want to generalize, but sadly I have heard stories where people have asked about group B strep and then they've been told you don't need to worry about that. Um, And that isn't helpful. Like we need rational, factual conversations. We need to expect more from parents. We need to, you know, not worry about frightening them because they're already anxious and wanting to do the best they can. So don't leave them in the dark, actually explain what infection might look like and and arm them. It's like an insurance policy. Like I I know I said this the other night, but if you, you hopefully won't use it, but you've got it in your locker if you need it. Mm. Um, So all of that, I think if it's helping people and if people are learning and they're able to advocate for themselves and be like, actually don't, don't tell me not to worry about it. I am worried about it and I want to know what my options are. Um, yeah, just not being afraid to speak up for yourself, I think, um, off the back of losing him. Um, so that people, yeah, have just got more chances to learn and to be equipped. Yeah. There's, there's um, so many lovely comments from people. Yeah, I was just going to say the same. Yeah, but there's one, there's one question. Are there any signs of strep B for a mother in pregnancy? Um, so in pregnancy in this country, if it's picked up, it's normally because of a UTI, which means the group B strep has passed into the bladder. So if you have um, anything that feels like a UTI, so like obviously sometimes that can just be the, the baby pushing on your bladder, but an urgency to wee, um, any sort of discharge, any burning, anything like that that we'd normally associate with like cystitis or UTI, 
that can often be a sign of strep B in the bladder. So at that point, if you went to the midwife with those symptoms, they would swab you and test for it. Um, but only if you go and tell them. So don't be afraid to, if something doesn't quite seem right, to go mm. and say. Um, I think it's very easy to kind of be like, oh, it was there yesterday. It's not today. And maybe the baby's head was just pushing on my bladder. Um, mm. But there's no harm in asking and getting swabbed and checked. And obviously you can choose to test as well. So um, often you won't have any symptoms. Um, if in labour you have a, a really high fever um, and signs of fever like vomiting or, or illness to do with fever, that's also a sign of group B strep. And that would be recognised in labour by um, the people supporting you, like the medical professionals, because they take your temperature and they obviously check signs and symptoms while you're there. So they would pick up on that in labour. Um, but some some women are poorly in labour with like a fever and they need antibiotics for themselves as well as for the baby being born because they've um the group straps become infectious because it's a bacteria most of the time that can become an infection so mm. that's worth remembering like a baby um being exposed to the bacteria doesn't mean they're necessarily going to become really poorly most babies when exposed will be fine and some when exposed it becomes an infection which is what happened with Ezra so um yeah, it's good. I think a lot of people think it's just like instant exposure is like instantly an infection, but it's it's mm. not like that. Okay. If that helps. Oh, Sarah, yeah, thank, you thank you so much. much. We're all out of time, I'm afraid. No, but thank you, guys. So lovely. Yeah, yeah thank you for being so Ezra. Yeah, so articulate. Thank you. Definitely yeah, more thank- articulate than both of us. <laughs> I don't know about that. Thank you both for everything you've been doing this week. I know everyone will be watching the amount of posts you're putting up and all the stuff you're doing that we don't even know you're doing in the background and the platform you give all of us to, to process our feelings and to manage our our own journeys um, and to make us feel like it's going to be okay. Because I think that's such a powerful gift that you offer. And I really appreciate having met you both and, and like accessed all your amazing resources. It's been so important in my journey. So thank you. Oh gosh, absolute pleasure. It's a privilege yeah. to be uh to be helpful to people such as you guys. Right. Oh, so lovely girls. to see you all. And um thank you again, Sarah. It was just that was really, really lovely. And there's so much love for you in this uh chat box. Yeah, I'm having a little look now. Thank oh, you so much, guys, for your lovely comments. I really appreciate it. Oh, there's a lot of love. <laughs> right, go get yourselves an early night. Or yeah. watch bake. Oh, it's not bake off tonight, is it? No, okay. I don't know. Shaking. No. Well, All right. Whatever you go to do, enjoy and um, take care of yourselves. And we'll catch up soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us, and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.